Hi, this is Deval Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts, and I've got a podcast. We call it Being American. In each episode, we talk about the major challenges that people and families and communities all over the country are facing that need real solutions and how a better understanding of our shared values and objectives can help us bridge the kinds of differences that keep us from those solutions. I interview political figures, elected officials, grassroots organizers, regular citizens, folks in and out of politics and civic life who are in search, like me, of common wisdom in these uncommon times. Join us and help bridge the divide. It's the Being American podcast, which you can subscribe to or download wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to For All, a podcast by ACLU of Mississippi, offering lessons and stories on how to advocate for all Mississippians. I'm your host, Candace Coleman, and I'm once again joined by Delana Tavakal, our smart justice advocate here at the ACLU of Mississippi. And Delana, before we get into the episode, I think you should share with the listeners what your title, Smart Justice Advocate, even means. Um, what is smart justice and what are the projects and policies that you're currently working on in Mississippi to achieve justice? So the Smart Justice Campaign is a campaign launched by ACLU National to address mass incarceration. For us in Mississippi, that means taking a broader look at criminal justice and immigrants' rights and targeting the systemic and intersectional factors that contribute to our state's incarceration rate, which is the third highest in the country. My role in all of this is looking at how policing serves as a pipeline to detention and incarceration. So a lot of what I do is connecting communities' stories with relevant leaders in law enforcement in order to facilitate improvements in crisis interventions, the treatment of people experiencing homelessness or mental illness, and the interactions between police and immigrants. And that's something we're going to get into even more in this conversation. But first, let's get into episode two, which is a conversation with Vanessa. Vanessa was born in Mexico, but has lived in and around Laura, Mississippi, which is about mid-south Mississippi in an area that we call the Pine Belt. And she's been there for about two decades now, mainly working in different immigrant-majority factories. Vanessa also told us in her interview that she had to leave Mexico because of her gender presentation and sexuality. So in addition to looking for economic opportunities to support her family, Vanessa traveled to the United States in search of acceptance. We did have a translator for this interview because Vanessa's uh, native language is Spanish and she feels more comfortable speaking Spanish. So the voice that you will be hearing is the translator as Vanessa. Vanessa, we've spoken to you multiple times before. Yes, really, first of all, appreciate you for always being available to us because we feel like you are a very important piece of what it means to be an immigrant here in Mississippi. So thank you for allowing us to use your voice. Um, but let's first ask and, and take it back to the beginning. I know we spoke for the first time about what brought you here to Mississippi. Um, and so can you first speak about that? Llegar a Mississippi fue, fue no algo planeado. Coming to Mississippi wasn't something that I planned, it just happened. Um, the human traffickers that brought me here 
first I wanted to go to New York, but they chose where to take me, and that was in Mississippi. And going to New York would have been too expensive, and I couldn't afford that. So I decided to stay here in Mississippi, and in the end, it's been the right choice for me. Mexico is not a very safe place work-wise and also economically. Since I was a child, my life has not been easy, and I was always looking out for all better opportunities. Back in my country, there's still a lot of discrimination and homophobia. And when I lived there, I experienced a lot of it at work and on the street and even in my own family. So that's why another reason why I feel safe living here. I'm not going to lie, there is homophobia here. But at the same time, I feel like I have more rights. Like something that happened at work, um, someone said aggressive things to me and... It made me feel really bad and it was scary. So I went to talk with the manager and I explained to them the situation that I didn't want to be facing this. And they worked with me and the person got suspended and they told me this is something that it's not going to happen again. So I felt like, like I had more rights and I could defend myself. So in my country, if that were to happen, um, nobody would pay attention to me. Even there's uh, physical confrontations and people are murdered over it and nothing happens. So that's why I feel safer here. It was very difficult to move here. I had to leave my family, my friends. I had to leave my life behind. Whenever they asked me if I would recommend them to come to the United States, I would say yes, but there's a big risk involved in crossing the border because now it's more dangerous than it's ever been before. So when you're looking to stay in there or taking that big risk to search, seek a better life here, you have to find a balance in that. When you first got here to Mississippi, what were the biggest challenges that you were facing? Was it hard to find work? Was it hard to find space to live? Was it hard to get around? What were the challenges that you faced? Eh, sí. Lo difícil fue... Yes, it was very difficult to adapt to a new place. I didn't know anybody, and by then, the Hispanic community was very small, and it was just starting. People were just starting to move here. Um, about finding work, it was extremely easy because companies were out looking for laborers, so that wasn't the difficult part. Most of us struggled with communication. We didn't know the language. We didn't have a mode of transportation, and we felt like we were alienated from the community, like we needed someone to show us around and to tell us um, where to go when we needed something. What was your experience like at your first place of work? Bueno, la experiencia no fue muy agradable. Well, my, ex my first experience was not very nice because, like I said before, the companies were looking for a lot of laborers, but for a cheap price. So we worked a lot of hours for little pay, and there was a lot of pressure in the work and discrimination. And I'm pretty sure this was mostly immigrants who were working there, right? Sí, sí, como yo decía anteriormente. Yes, like I said before, since um, immigrants, we didn't know how to get around here. The companies took advantage of that and hired us for cheap salaries and made us long, work long hours. What plant was this? What was, what was your first job at? My first job was at the company called One Farm. And then you also experienced work at Howard Industries, right? Yeah, as our community continued growing, we were finding better opportunities. So that's how I heard about Howard Industries, and that's how I started working there. 
Okay, I want to pause here, Delana, and talk about Howard Industries and why it's important when talking about immigration in Mississippi, because before the historic 2019 ICE raids at poultry factories where 700 people were detained, there was the 2008 Howard Industry raids. And Delana, what usually happens after these raids occur? So ICE raids are operations in which individuals who are not eligible to stay in the United States are targeted. This could be because of a lack of documentation, having been ordered deported by an immigration judge, or some other reason. It's important to note that a lot of these reasons actually come down to administrative and bureaucratic errors on the part of our own government. Oftentimes, for examples, individuals are ordered to appear before an immigration judge, but not given a time, day, or location. So they're being targeted for not showing up to a meeting that, as far as they could know, didn't exist. Not everyone who's arrested at an ICE raid is unauthorized to be in the United States either. A lot of people have been arrested simply because they exercised their right to remain silent and therefore were assumed undocumented, even when that person was a green card holder. If someone is arrested and is then sent to immigration detention, they could be waiting a long time before release. Even though there is a legal limit for how long an individual can be kept in immigration detention, there are often reports of people being held for months, or in some cases I've even heard about years past that threshold. In the meantime, their immigration case is working its way through the judicial system, and if they're ordered deported, they'll also need to wait for our government to coordinate a return with the receiving government. The process from raid to deportation is just littered with civil rights violations, inefficiencies, and unnecessary costs to taxpayers. ICE itself has acknowledged that the raids are meant to serve as a deterrent, essentially to scare people, and by people they really mean Central Americans, away from coming to the United States. What they're missing is that many of the people they're targeting are here because they're fleeing violence and persecution. So those people have no choice but to leave. But instead of welcoming them with a safe place to call home, federal immigration agencies in the United States like ICE apply these scare tactics that ultimately result in communities being torn apart and living in fear with no contribution whatsoever to public safety in this country. Right, and all of these things Vanessa shares in her story. So we started switching to this company because they offered us more money and they treated us a little better than the chicken processing plant. Um, I started working there in 2005. There were around 3,000 employees, and most of them were undocumented. And that's how uh, the problem started with ICE. So I never knew how ICE started to get these reports that there were too many undocumented people working there. In 2008, there was a raid by ICE. So that really showcased just how many undocumented people the companies were employing and how they preferred that because it was cheaper. It was cheaper to hire them. It was something that I'll never forget. It was a very unpleasant thing to go through. They came into the company and they treated us like we weren't even people. The first thing that crossed my mind when I saw the ICE agents, like with many other people, is to run and hide. So what I did that day was run, but unfortunately the ICE agents had already planned very well the strategy, so there wasn't anywhere to run. The factory only has two exits, the main one and a back door, so that's where we tried to get out through. 
and we found a lot of people surrounding the area and helicopters. So that's when we realized that it was something that was planned for a long time. I remember I was hiding un under some transformers and uh, the agent came with dogs. So they found me very quickly and screamed at me, what are you doing down there? What affected us most at, the, at that moment was fear and that's why we were hiding. They were very aggressive and were screaming to us. Um, they told me that they were going to shoot me if I didn't get out of there and lift, li lifted his jacket to show his gun. Uh, so the thing that I did is stay quiet because that's the best thing you can do in that situation. So I got out of my hiding spot and he grabbed me by my shirt and started searching my pockets in case, searching if I had something dangerous on me. Um, they treat us like we're criminals, like we don't have any rights or like we've killed somebody and just because we don't have a piece of a document, but we have rights. They already had designated places. In one side they would take all the men and in another all the women. After that we went through a process where they asked us questions like uh, when did you come from, how did you get here? And like an interview. And according to the answers we would give them, they were selecting us in different groups. Some people were taken to jail immediately, other people were waiting for more information, and other people like me, um, they took us apart and told us that maybe we could stay for humanitarian reasons. At that time, I was taking care of my sister's baby, and my sister had passed away six months before that. So the baby was with a babysitter, and I had to arrange somewhere to leave her, I didn't want to leave her alone. And I, I explained that to the agent and that was one of the reasons that I could stay. Did you lose a lot of friends that day, those people who got taken away by ICE, that 700? Did you lose a lot of friends and, and how did that impact you? I didn't lose only my friends, but it was a big impact in the whole city. Business closed down, the community itself lost a lot from that. So I had a little money saved up and I tried to get together with other people who were not affected by the raid. And um, it was very difficult because we all lost our jobs, so it was tough times. The raid had a big impact to, in a personal level and also in the city because all the people that left, that were arrested, they took their children out of the school, so it was a big change. After the raid, I really didn't know what was going to happen to me. A lot of people left, but years later, now they're coming back here and they're starting their lives again here. One of the reasons that I see that people are coming back here is because a lot of the children were born here. So now, 13 years later, they're coming back to the country. Another thing that I've heard is that the financial situation in our countries, um, it's very bad. And it's also, there's a lot of violence and it's dangerous. So that's why people move here again. Okay, I'm going to pause right here and highlight something that Vanessa mentioned, and that's about the children being taken out of school after the raids. Delana, you spoke with the Scott County Sheriff after the 2019 ICE raids about how those raids left some children abandoned. Yes, and this was a large part of the widespread criticism against these raids. Some children came home from their first day of school to no one there. 
Several churches had to open their doors overnight to take in those whose parents were arrested. Local law enforcement was notified about the raids, according to Sheriff Lee, so they couldn't make the necessary preparations, like how to take care of the kids whose parents were detained. And listeners, you can hear more from that conversation with the Scott County Sheriff by visiting our website, aclums.org, clicking on our work campaigns and then unalienable and that's where you'll find that information okay let's go back to vanessa who after experiencing the 2008 raid at howard industries shares her thoughts on the 2019 raids i feel sad because it's still affecting the hispanic community but at the same time i feel some relief because if i compare what happened recently with what happened in 2008 then it's uh, different. A lot of people came, came out of jail sooner and a lot of help. People offered a lot of help faster. And I saw a lot of parts of the community coming together, Hispanics, black and white people, and they were marching, protesting about what had happened. And that made me feel good because it makes me feel that we're not forgotten. Do you feel at all that the companies should be, that, that the company should have protected Uh, the immigrants more? Do you think there should have been some better protection from the company? Yes, then and now I feel that companies have a responsibility to protect their employers. But unfortunately, these companies like to hire undocumented people because they won't fight for their rights. I've met a lot of people who have injured themselves and they don't ask for any compensation. And it's just cheap labor. I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of people, so I always tell them to fight for their rights because we have rights. And even the companies are always going to try to deny us those rights. But luckily, I had the chance to fight for my rights, and now I'm still here. So I always tell them that we have to keep doing that. I've experienced a big difference back when I was working as an undocumented worker, and now that I'm legally allowed to work here, it's a big difference that I've noticed. The place that I work now, it has around 300 employees and there's very little, there's few Latin people working there. But I've noticed that they treat us all the same because they know now that we're documented so we can file complaints and ask for better treatment if they do something wrong. I guess I I would add on to that. Though you are legally allowed to work here, you still face discrimination. Yes, um, I've seen some things at work that, especially about communication, that when people can't speak the language, they are either ignored or they don't respect them. But I've heard that in other companies where there's a larger Latin community, the discrimination is even more noticeable. One of the things that a lot of people who have a certain political view, one of the things that they say uh, is that they're taking all of our jobs. What do you feel, how do you respond to that? And what do you, what do you say? How do you feel when you hear people say that? I think that's part of the racism that still exists in this country because we're not taking jobs from anybody. We're just accepting jobs that people offer us. So if someone comes and says, hey, I need two people to do this job that nobody else wants to do, we're going to take it. For example, I have two roommates now and the two of them are out working, doing roofing jobs that nobody wants to do right now because of the heat and it's tough, demanding physical job. So that's the jobs that we're taking. What would your life be like now if you, if you had to go back? 
I don't even want to imagine. I have a lot of family there and I'm always talking to them and they explain to me um, they have to work a lot and their financial situation is very bad and it's also dangerous and violent. So even if I'm not 100% safe in here, it's better than living there. Those are the two principal reasons that I have to stay here. I have a better financial situation here, even if it's not the best, but it's better than what I would have back in, in my country, and um, I feel safer living here. What are your most pressing issues that you see right now for your community in Mississippi? I'm hoping there's going to be um, immigration reform that's going to be able to protect undocumented people because right now they're being taken advantage of. Another issue that I see is healthcare, especially now with the pandemic that's affected so many people and even myself, but I was able to go to the doctor, but there's a lot of other people who don't want to go to the doctor because it's expensive and because they don't have any documents. So I would like to see some way for people to access free or even cheap healthcare services because they get sick and they prefer to suffer at home instead of going to the doctor. That's one of the biggest things that I'd like to see the community get some help about. Access to healthcare is a huge topic in the United States right now and it's important that Vanessa brought it up. There's an estimated 75% of undocumented Mississippians, that's tens of thousands of people, who are uninsured while over a third live below the poverty line. Even when COVID vaccines and tests are made available for free, surrounding costs like transportation and administrative fees for other services still bar a lot of folks from getting the health care that they need. All of that is compounded by the fear of encountering law enforcement at a testing site or hospital. Even though those are legally protected sites, there have been reports of that sensitive locations policy being breached in the past, which creates a culture of fear that ultimately affects public health more broadly. What we need is for government officials, not only in Mississippi, but across the country, to approach healthcare policy with some cultural competence and a recognition of the barriers that specific communities face when trying to access the healthcare that they're entitled to. So how do we show up for each other? That's the question we will try to answer each episode. Oftentimes, local law enforcement agencies assist ICE agents in execution of raids. Ally with immigrant neighbors and demand that your local departments end voluntary collaboration with ICE to create a more safe community for all. Thank you, Delana, and thank you, Vanessa, for being a part of this episode. Also, thank you to Gabriella for translating. For more information on the unalienable campaign that Delana mentioned earlier, and for Know Your Rights information on immigrants' rights, visit ACLUMS.org. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at ACLU underscore MS and on Facebook at ACLU of Mississippi. Be an advocate for all.